are in the Grotto Pod. We are in the Grotto Pod. We're all in the Grotto Pod, and for once, there's room for all of us. Because it's it's a Grotto Pod of the mind. It's sort of mobile Grotto Pod, though, today. Today we have a special Grotto Pod episode for you. But before I tell you about it, let me introduce myself. I am Larry Rosen, one of your hosts. Indeed, and I am Bridget Quinn. We are coming to you from the San Francisco Writers Grotto, as always. But today, there's a little bit of a twist. Why don't you tell them what that is, BQ? Well, Larry, we're in the library, the Grotto Library, right? The Grotto Lib, which isn't really a library. In it that has it's, books. It has a few books, but it's more of a, a workroom. Right now, uh, we're surrounded by a few books, a clock, but more importantly, whiteboards full of what looks like hieroglyphics to me. It looks like the rants of a crazed killer. Well, it wasn't. But I think put it's a there. narrative arc of it some kind. It wasn't put there by a crazed killer. In fact, it was put there by our two guests today. True. This is a big day for Grotto Pod because we've got the founders. Well, sixty percent of the founding team. You're so good at math. That was so fast. Well, math is kind of my secret. Are you talent. sure? Is sixty percent? Sixty-seven percent. Okay, that makes more sense. Two out of three uh-huh. of the founding members of the San Francisco Writers Grotto, we will have Ethan Waters and Poe Bronson. Will it's be actually in here better because otherwise there'd be two Ethans. And that would get confusing. Right. And I got to tell you the truth. If Ethan Canem was here, I wouldn't be able to talk. So it's probably good that he's not here. Because he's so intimidating? No, just because he's... Ethan Canem. Exactly. But th- then again, this is Poe Bronson and Ethan Waters. So that's pretty intimidating. It is a little intimidating, but we're going to try to do our best. Before they get in here, let me run down a list of the books these men have published. Uh, Ethan Waters, you may know him from two... Uh, Pretty high-impact books, uh, Urban Tribes, which came out in 2003, and Crazy Like Us in 2010. And the whole world knows about that book right now. Yep, because... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I injected politics into our literary discussion. Generally, the Grotto Oops. Pod is a no-politics zone. Maybe all the rules are gone here because we're in this gigantic room. But the subtitle of Crazy Like Us is The Globalization of the American Psyche. Right, but- which is really interesting, but we're not going to talk about that today. Okay. And we're not going right. to talk Fair about enough. Ethan's many contributions to many newspapers, magazines, yes. etc. Nor will we be talking about Poe's many books, two novels, Bombardiers, uh, and the first 20 million is the hardest, followed by a number of nonfiction books, starting with The Nudist on the Late Shift, What Should I Do With My Life, Why Do I Love These People, Nurture Shock, which is a huge one. People are always talking about Nurture yep. Shock, uh, and Top Dog, The Science of Winning and Losing. They were in this room just a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. We kicked them out. We kicked them out, but we're going to have them come right back in. In a moment, uh, because we want to share with you the origin story of the San Francisco Writers Grotto. We talk about it in every episode. About the grotto. Because everyone who's been on so far is a member of the grotto. There's people we see just walking around. Oh, yeah. We eat lunch with. We eat lunch with them. You know, we, we see Share them. the restroom. We, I, I mean, I don't share the restroom with Poe I wasn't going to say that. But, you know, other I, ladies. I, yeah. So that's a whole separate thing. Mm-hmm. Um we didn't want to go any further without giving you an idea of what this place is and how it started and what it's all about. So that's what we're going to do today. I think it'll be a real nice conversation. Should we get them on in here? I think we should. All right. It's time. Now. Ethan Waters and Poe Bronson. Now we've got you guys. Poe, Ethan, welcome to the expanded Grotto Pod. It's good to have you here. 
Well, here at want, the San Francisco Writers Grotto. Here at the San Francisco Writers Grotto. What we want to talk with you today about is not the uh, <clears throat> very complicated project you seem to be working on before we got in here, nor your many publications and books, but actually the genesis and founding of the grotto itself. Wherein we sit. Wherein we sit, because you are two-thirds of the founding team. We sit in a later incarnation. Right. And you look, look, just to be honest, it's reincarnated every few months by the new people who come in here. I mean, right. you guys weren't there. No. Now you're doing this podcast. You're Indeed. reinvigorating the community just as much. So, Which, is, which is good because sometimes us newbies, we can feel like we're the part of the Happy Days crew that happened after the show moved to L.A. What? <laughs> Where did it start? Oh, Cincinnati or something? No, no, Milwaukee. Oh, Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Oh, Long after know. the Fonz jumped all... the shark. Oh. Uh, you know, I have to say, one of the great things at, that Poe just hit on is that from the day that I started here, I felt like opportunities were open to make it what I wanted it to be. And that's really a generous way to be in the world. That's definitely the idea of the grotto. There is no really formal structure. You'll notice we never ask people to read each other's works or read out loud or do things. There's always these opportunities to collaborate, but no enforced rules to collaborate. And so what people do is they create their little nodes. Now now we have, now we're jumping ahead in the story, but now we have mm-hmm. about 35 offices and about 55 writers use the space every month, 110 people that are affiliated with the Grotto somehow. And within that many people, you have these little nodes and networks of people that collaborate sort of yeah. naturally, organically. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, can, uh, can I just – I got I to sure. flag this oh, word You always got to jump in. All right. So, <clears throat> you know, at its core, there is this trait called co-authorship, which is more fundamental than collaboration. Like collaboration is what you do sometimes when you're – you're working to get along with someone, right? <laughs> but co-authorship is this thing where it's the most purest form. It's where one child begins an imaginary story, and the other child picks up on it and advances story, plays along, right? And, and that trait, that capacity in children to co-author, to respect each other's premises and go with it, is a thing that we began before the grotto, which was... Ethan's and our friends teaching us about improv and going to improv and learning to say yes to a premise in really? improv. And the culture we created as writers came out of this con- – is, is totally kin to this concept. So what's happening in the grotto is co-authorship more than collaboration, which is this sort of like you can take the story and run with it. And you can run off in that direction. Mm-hmm. And someone else can take the story and they run off in this direction. Collaboration is what Ethan and I were doing before we were here where we're, 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 we're just collaborating on a – on a diagram, right? But that was on a particular project. But co-authorship is even more... We use the word collaboration all the time in our society today. And I think we're missing this deeper thing, which is more... I mean, kids who can co-author, play, have... All the studies show for 25 years they have great outcomes. They have great relationships with their parents, great relationships with their loved ones. They have good relationships with their siblings. They can stand up for themselves and yet also feel their friends' needs. And for us, this concept began prior to the Grotto. And we were writing, and we had a writer's group, and we had met, and we can get into how and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, but staying on track to this intellectual idea, is this, um, you know, what kind of community, what kind of culture were we creating? And improv with this critical thing that we, was it Ben who first, we had a, we had a BBS, 
and Ethan had lived on what's a BBS Del Mar Street. So prior to the internet, there was the well. Oh, the well. And the right. well was a BBS dialed to, up. <clears throat> and you had a right. dial-up community. So we had our own little dial-up community, and Ethan was connected to some guys who had been editors of like. I don't know, you know, like tech mag- Mac magazines and stuff <laughs> like that, and they knew how to do this stuff. So we had our own little dial-up BBS. Wow! So the grotto, this community, and but separate from that technology, the same guys were interested in the arts and stuff. And Ben was interested in improv, and and um, uh, we went to start seeing improv, and that's how I met Josh Cornbluth. Who was there at the oh, first grotto? Yeah. Yeah. Like, got from improv, got to go see the mathematics. But now, he, but he's not a founder officially, right? No, we can tell that story, but let's let's to this idea, which is that in improv, someone starts a story. There's a premise. The audience gives you the premise, and, and you don't the the how to do it is you stand up there on stage and you roll with someone's premise, and then you add to it and you steer it back to them in a funny way that now it's their problem, right? But I think that was this essential idea that we were going. We had a culture of kind of riffing off each other. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, and it was different than um, the culture Ethan had been in in New York and Ethan Kanan had been in in writing schools. Well, I would say it sort of runs counter to generally what people think of as writer culture. They think of us as sitting alone in our rooms writing. Right, that and being competitive or right. being petty or something. And Jealous. I, yeah, envious. Or, envious of other people's success. Writing mean reviews because you feel like Fame and fortune are a of limited supply, and someone else, someone else is doing well. It's at, at your expense, right? I, I mean, I think you know, post talking about cl- collaboration and co-authorship, and I really do feel like I, I fundamentally learned that from Poe. There's this way of talking and collaborating with about a piece of writing that instantly puts the two parties who are collaborating on one side as opposed to like on on the opposite side you're not critiquing you're like on the same team and the piece of writing becomes the object of both your interests and there's a way in which Poe does that that I learned and I think that we've disseminated into into the grotto where you instantly feel like you have a teammate as opposed to someone critiquing you or grading you or making you feel bad and there's a way of talking about writing that we've that I think runs throughout the grotto where after someone works on that piece of writing with you, you are more excited to get back to the page. You are absolutely can't wait to do the next thing because it's been revealed to you through that teamwork. Okay, before we go back to the origin, then this is really interesting. So what beyond just putting us all in the same place? What is there anything you guys set in place to make sure we didn't just get here, retreat to our separate corners and do our thing? Or do you think it's just a fundamental outcome of having us all in one spot? I, I think we're trying to describe, like, and this is spontaneous, but how we were trying to be and how we were trying to envision our the life of the writer that we wanted to be and what kind of culture was around that and Ethan's right I mean we was we were we all had been in those workshops where people would try to help you by telling you what was wrong with your piece of writing right because that that's made a them fundamental sound like good thing. writers that's what readers. you do the workshop right and again uh, grotto was founded at the end of 1994 writing programs had exploded in the previous four or five years and the workshop was the thing and and we had a we had a, a writers group and we evolved a, we, we we were like Jim Humes and I were in the program at San Francisco State um, Keith and Kanan uh, who came along had, you know he 
he had been in all these writing programs as well. We tried to evolve a way of talking about a piece of writing that didn't make you feel defensive and scared and didn't want to perform and go home and be crushed for two months so and did not you, be able to pick it up. Did you feel like, because I'm asking because I was at SF State at the time too, did you feel like that was a particularly competitive program within the program? Where people Was it cutthroat? It wasn't cutthroat, but many people could leave the room and have a hard time beginning a rewrite because they felt torn down. And But I would just say that what we were doing in our writers group, we brought to state as well. We, you know, Jim and I, and then you and Jim and, and, uh, and others got to know our teachers, and we kind mm-hmm. of really worked with our Michelle Carter, who was later in the grotto, Jane Thompson. You know, we worked with our teachers on that. We tried to, we worked with them, we talked to them, we befriended them. You know, and that happens in writing programs. We kind of did it in a little bit different way, and we talked differently. And I think that we tried to contage states' workshops with a little bit more truly supportive, helpful culture. All right, so let's go back to 1994, shall we? Yeah. Uh, Coolio is real big. Mm. You're five years away from being voted the sexiest writer by People magazine. And you decide to start this. Now, you told me a story last week about a basketball game. Yeah. Share that one with us again here. All right. So we had a writer's group, and uh, I was working uh, in investment banking. I was a bond salesman, and we worked market hours. You get to work at 4 in the morning. You get so is this, is this pre-SF wow. state? No. Um because I thought you were in publishing when you were at SF State. That's true. The, sorry, the basketball game had this overlap. The basketball game overlapped with... Uh, let's, let me tell a story. And, you know, <laughs> All right. Taking notes and get a chronology. <laughs> All right, so I was, we had this basketball. So I'd get off work at like 2.30, and I'd go to Julius Kahn Playground in the Presidio. And there were these guys, you know, my age, a little bit older, who had a terrific kind of pickup basketball game. Everyone's allowed to I play. And it was... It was high level. It was clean. There was good picks. There was people didn't travel. Trash talk level, high or low? No, it's just people are having fun. Good. And most of these people had grown up in San Francisco, and I didn't know people had grown up in San Francisco. <laughs> Ditto. And uh, that was kind of cool. And you know, we had a writers group, and it goes on. And then and now I've left Wall Street, but it's still playing in this basketball game. And now I'm working on publishing, but still playing in the basketball game. And one day after the basketball game, I lived on at Fifth and Clement, and I walked up to to Green Apple Books and walked into Kevin's place, and there in the front was this book of short stories, his national bestseller on it by Ethan Kane, and I'm Emperor and I'm Fair. writing short stories. And I'm like, I never heard of this book, a book of short stories that's on the bestseller list. <laughs> How does that happen? Like that doesn't happen to the lovely, wonderful jewel and pearl of a short story. <laughs> And I turned the thing over, and there's the guy I've been playing basketball with for two years. And that was Ethan Kanan. So sure enough, you know, some months later, on the old dot matrix printer, I went to my basketball game down at Moscone one night, and we played. And then after the game, I crept over to Ethan, and I said, Hey, Ethan, we've been playing basketball for three years. You know, I'm the guard who passes it to you, and I'm also a writer. And he tells the story because he was just, like, cringing. This happens to him all 
balls. Like, oh, no, my and of course, ruined. I'm like, show you my demo and I'm like, tape. you know, me and my friends, it's really fun. We have this writer's group having some beer and wine and cheese at my apartment on Stanion, you know, on Sunday night, you know, you know, maybe His you want to stop by. It's like <laughs> inviting this famous person to stop by your house. And we have our writer's group. And sure enough, I was writing a story that uh, they... They helped me with, but it was hard. I really thought there was some of the story, and and it wasn't Ethan, and it wasn't Jim, but it was a third guy. His name was Mitch. Is that his name, Mitch or something? Let's call him Mitch. Mitch. But he, he really Mitch. gave my story a real work over and told me everything was wrong with it. And then there's a knock on the door, and Ethan Kanan comes in. And we can't believe it. We're so excited and everything. <laughs> and he's just like, no, just keep going. He listens. He listens to Mitch trash my piece, and then he stops, and he says... Um, well, actually, uh, I only came and I would not normally do this, but I'm judging this contest for Jay F- Schaefer of Fiction Network, and we've got you know 500 short stories submitted, and uh, I've checked with Jay; he won't let me declare this the winner. But I would have declared this the winner if he would have let me submit it, you know, on your behalf, kind of thing. So they're scraping you off the ceiling at this yeah. point. <laughs> Wait, this is the story you handed him on the basketball this court. This is the story you handed him on the basketball court. I would have been shocked he actually yeah, read it. I know all of it. Everything. Right? It's the all best. of it. And it's that a short became story. that became our connection and friendship with okay, Ethan. Okay, so Kanan. I want to get a different point of view then, Ethan. So I got my own Ethan Keenan uh, creation story. Uh, I came back from Harper's Magazine. I interned to Harper's, and I worked uh, for a year at a book talk show. Came back. Book talk a book show. Talk show? A what? book talk show and uh, books were big back then. Yeah, it was a back big then thing. People read books. Who, who, PBS. Who who hosted it? Lewis Lapham, the other guy. Oh, oh, there you go. Okay. He's the host of the book talk show. It's called Bookmark. I worked there for a year, came back, was at loose ends, got some sort of jobs at, um, you know, fact-checking jobs at Mother Jones and San Francisco Magazine. And one of those fact-checking jobs, I had to fact-check a story about Ethan Kanan. And so I had to call him up. And he we, was like a matinee he, idol at the time. He was. He mm-hmm. was really was. He was such a, a huge fixture in, in, in how we thought about writing and short stories called him up, talked to him about things. like, And one of the things I had to fact check was the fact that he played a pickup softball game. Oh, my God. Every Monday. Basketball and softball. Yeah, and I said, do you think I can show up? And he was he was a little, you know, it was a little iffy. But he Did said, you play? Yeah, Did you actually participate I, I, in the game? I played for the next 10 years. What position? I was shortstop. You know, oh, well, okay. you can Kane like shortstop, too. We sort of switched off. But um, so I met him through... Um, through uh, the, the, this pickup softball game, and then he, and then when we started to think about, he was thinking about whether he was going to be a doctor or a full time writer, as one will. Yes, as one will after going to Harvard Medical School. The guy is like a pathological overachiever. Really <laughs> makes you sad. Um, and we began to think about, like, he began to think he wanted to be a writer. So we began to talk the three of us about the possibilities of like sharing an office space, and that was. So we had this. Our own little workshop with, that Poe and I had that Ethan Cannon sometimes came to, but um, we began looking around for office space in San Francisco and on uh, Market Street near um, Cafe du Nord, we found this shotgun flat that had six rooms in it. It was just bedrooms and a kitchen. And thought, wow, this is you know, this is a lot of commitment. Three year lease, mm-hmm. and a just, lot of time. And you have just no idea. Of, just for the one shake. year lease. One year lease. Oh, was it one year lease? <laughs> yeah, twelve hundred dollars. One year lease. Twelve hundred. That's two, what I wanted. Essentially, it's going to average out to two hundred bucks an, an office. Yeah, but is, we we were terrified that we couldn't find the three people. 
the other right. three people. We should, we should just pitch Stitch, which is a, one of the critical things that gave us the courage to do this was Amazing Kano is Ethan Kanan. But I think you had sold Making Monsters at that point, and I had sold Bombardiers. And I and I gave up my job at a small press to come to the Grotto full time. But that just the fact that we had that. Well, and I was going to ask too: How dialed in were you to the local scene where you could find other people to fill those offices? Turns out we were very dialed in. We had no idea <laughs> Did you know until that? I, we, we didn't know. really know that until we threw the first party. Oh, so we we got the space and we thought, well, we'll just advertise this space party. by throwing a party. And we had one of the first of many really truly rocking. Grotto parties back yeah. in the day. See, and this is why we feel like to cast a happy days after we moved yeah. to California. <clears throat> Gary Camille would be the first guy at the door and the last guy out, and we Karen would go Ball all was night. there. Oh, I mean, she's good at parties. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we got uh, and Dave Monroe, the filmmaker, and uh, uh, Tessa Souter, who was this lovely English writer who we needed to sort of balance it out in so many ways, sort of gender wise, and being lovely. You just having a lovely personality, <laughs> you had a around. lovely person around, and a great accent, and a I'm great guessing. accent. And she came in, and she took one of the offices. Josh Cornbluth took another one. Okay, and so all the stuff you guys led off with about co-authoring and collaboration was that included in the original blueprint, or was it just let's get offices together and see what happens? I don't think it was beyond let's let's share some space and have a place to go to work. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think the critical thing was for Ethan Kane in to no longer show up at UCSF every day. Mm-hmm. He, he couldn't just stay at home. But I, I have a theory about groups that I want. I'm actually thinking about writing a, a book about creation of groups, and the mm-hmm. grotto was certainly something I think about. But I'm wondering, like, you and I always knew, Poe and I always knew that we were going to share our work together. Like, there is a real sort of partnership bond. So at the bottom of this, beginning of this group, was this partnership. And Ethan Kanan was certainly part of it, but he was not as much about, like, let me read your piece of writing. And no, he, read only, yours. he didn't read mine. He, only, he, he shared his with, with me. You, yeah. He didn't ask to read mine. Yeah. But I think there's something about when you create these groups that like you might want to think about, like, not doing it as a single entity, but, like, a two people create a group better, I think, than oh, okay. like a t- true partnership. Like, we're going to do this. Um, and I think that was really at the at the heart of the grotto and its and, and the way it sustained itself certainly for the first few years. So how long did you stay on Market Street? I think it was a year. And when did you get the idea was to it two years? I thought I thought we were there for three. I'm really bad. Hmm. Might have been three. <laughs> you know, and not many people remember the nineties, it's oh. okay. Um, it's a lot of parties. <laughs> but even in the 90s, well, I guess not that early. I came to San Francisco in 98. It was really hard to find an apartment, really hard to find something affordable. I came here almost that's directly true. from New York you, City. So how did you find these spaces? Well, we kept, kept get, that's the reason we had so many spaces. We kept getting kicked out. We kept, right. The rent kept right. going right. up, right. and right. we would lose the space to another entity. Um, so that was the reason we moved. And we always managed, and really by the skin of our teeth, always managed to get a larger space. I've been scared we're going to get yeah. kicked out of here since I started. It, hmm. it, it is always, you know, it is, it, it's never a sure thing with a business yeah. lease. Yeah. Well, tell me we about We just got bigger and packed more people into it so right. that we, we could keep, so the original grotto averaged $200 a person. So things are more expensive now mm-hmm. for, for an office here. You're talking about $400. But again, it's 22 years later. That's what but, I was. But also, 
we have you know a large community. The, the the office holders and the office sharers are in the minority, and the number of people who come in and use the space part time is in the vast majority. Mm-hmm. And they're paying typically a hundred bucks a month. And sharing an office is more like two hundred a month. Yeah, and yeah. some of them even less. So in, in that sense, what a writer can pay hasn't changed, which yeah. is amazing. Well, had to keep it going. That's you know? a good point. Um, so as far as growth went, though, tell me about a, a period in time when you realized, well, it may, never, it may have never happened, where you realized you wanted to grow, or a period in time when you realized you had to. I'm sure there's got to be part of you that thought it was great when there were six of us. There was also days where he and I were the only ones in there, and it was freezing cold. We'd write with gloves on, and we'd be like, where is everybody? And then they'd mm-hmm. show up for a few hours. And, mm-hmm. um, it, but we, we were – every time it was forced. Like we were looking at a bigger space, and just like the first space, three of us rented a spot for six. We had to find those other three. Then again, when we moved to Folsom Street, we needed to go to nine. We had to find those people. We were desperate. We could have, we couldn't afford a single right. non vacancy, right? <laughs> and uh, we found Laura and uh, and Lisa and Todd and and Michelle and and then we that they were going to double the rent on us there, and we found the Dog and Cat Hospital, which which, which seems, is still referenced today. It seems to loom largest. Yeah, is that because it was the first large place, and it's still sort of it far was the first back? large place, and it was also had this remarkably huge, like t- literally like three thousand foot roof deck. Did you have the back. whole dog and cat hospital? We had the whole thing, two two floors, but one big huge open space on the back floor that happened to be at the top of a parking garage. And, and what condos is that now? It's uh, some Millennium yeah. Towers or something. Oh, it's down there. No, no, I don't know what it is. <laughs> it was right by into City the Hall. It's owned by some Australian. It's a dicey neighborhood by City Hall. Fund. But that was, I think you're right. Like that looms large because that was the first place we had 21 offices, mm-hmm. and you know, a, again, a number of people shared, and you know, a lot, a lot of people moved through that space. And I think that was the size at which we got the sense of like, yeah, there's a bigger group momentum. Like right. people would, um, and also. I go back to the parties. We had some good parties before. Legendary. But, but the ones at the dog and cat hospital. Were parties on the roof deck. Yeah. They're below Fox Tower with those people in that building looking out at our party wishing they could be there. <laughs> and the people at City Hall looking over and like wishing they could be there. And we had we had marching bands up there. The mayor came. Mad basketball games and Who was had, the uh, mayor at the time? Gavin, Gavin Newsom, Newsom. Came, came to one of our parties at the Doncaster. I will say, though, this is um, totally forbidden. I did go to a party here when I first started on the roof. Those didn't last very long. There was a party on the roof here? No. No, never happened. No, But there no, might have been. No party. Well, not as much a party. A party wandered up there, basically. That's okay. a little different. Yeah, okay. Um, right. It was nice, though. Beautiful. But I'm trying to like think back. I mean, it was a pretty big jump in number of members from going from the nine people to the cat and dog hospital. I mean, how did it, was it, there had to be a sort of panic feeling? Like, are we this time more than ever? Are we? Are we? Are we going to? Are we going to be? It was like incredibly intense gun check, gut check, where I I couldn't sleep for nights, and he couldn't sleep, and we he he would reassure me. I mean, I, because for the longest time, you know, I just kind of like we agreed to do it, but I wrote the check, right, and you know, just ran the books out of a back of an envelope, and. But it wasn't that it was 
the burden wasn't on. We agreed to, that this was a mutual burden. That wasn't it. But it was just terrifying. It was terrifying to say to go from nine to twenty-one. Exactly. Where, uh, where are we going to find people? And then we're counting on writers. Yeah, that's killed regular businesses before. When their live their living room dining room table is free, <laughs> like, and that right. they're going to consistently show up and want to be here. And we have no heat. We have no Wi-Fi. hadn't been invented, you know. Like, uh, you know, it was dirty. There was no maid. You know, uh, what year was this? That was about two thousand. Right around two thousand. We were there six years. Yeah, two thousand, two thousand six. So during those, let the record show. Ethan keeps shrugging and saying, "I don't know." <laughs> I just don't know. Mouthing it. I, really I don't air. trust like, Ethan's memory that much. Uh, actually, no, at this you point, not. Yeah. Um, all the institutional memory right here. Mm-hmm. We were counting on it. <laughs> so, how did the culture of the grotto change once you got to the cat and dog hospital? Well, we all got into the movie business. That's helpful. <laughs> how so? <laughs> Uh, you mean that? <laughs> Ooh. No, um, that was way past uh, the glory days of that uh, movie. Well, business I don't know. Here. I don't know. Well, that was the beginning. You know, Noah Hawley um, was. Uh, we were all inspired by by what Dave Monroe and Chandra Castleton were doing right. grotto films, and they had their scripts, and we were sort of like, I "Wonder if we can do this," and that had been happening between magazines and books. The cool thing that happened in the culture was people started to jump genres. So Mary Roach came in as a magazine writer. And she's around all these book people like, huh, this doesn't look that hard what they're doing. I think I can do that. And, you know, she penned off this fantastic book proposal for Stiff and sold it and wrote it on deadline on time. And the book was awesome. It became a huge bestseller, absolutely deservedly. And it was, so there began to be this courage to jump your genre. Right, um, so book writers started writing for magazines, and then there was the internet stuff, and then and then and the film stuff started coming in too. And there was one other thing that happened that was critical of the dog and cat hospitals, which we started teaching classes there. Mm. Oh, the that's fir- when they started for the first time. That's yeah. early. When that idea came up, did it a little seem bit like of a failed experiment? But it was a failed experiment for, for a year. Because it's no, pretty successful now. We started now. again here for a little bit, and then finally got And then we really, oh, really kicked it in. Yeah. It seems like a no-brainer. Like, I can't believe it took us that long to come up with this it was, idea. It was actually having writers. a space to do it. And mm. the Dog and Cat Hospital did have this sort of weird patio outdoor space that we put up plexiglass. We plexiglassed it in. i got to tell and you, it was, from, from where way, I'm sitting, it sounds almost gothic, this place. <laughs> like, there's ghosts of cats and dogs well, running we, around. The best part was at the back of the, above the parking lot, at the Beyond the plexiglass, plexiglass sunroom, uh, the sun at room. the back of the this solar deck was the old place where they. I don't know what they did with the dogs the and the cats. Burn them? There, the oh. Kennel. oh no, not oh, burn no. Them, no. Oh. The kennel. Or, anyway, it, it was a sloped floor. Let's put it that way. Oh. And in that little hut at the back of it is where nobody else. We knew no one else would take this spot. So Ethan and I agreed to. To inhabit this, this shed, and then we just—that was our palace. I mean, we opened our door, and it would be sunny or windy, and we brought our dogs, and and we had this deck, and it was decadent. And I mean, it was really grungy, but it was decadent in this kind of like way of feeling the absolute other end of the spectrum from 
having to like go to work and be in one of those mm. stuck in those tall buildings and feel like you're you know stuck in one of those tall buildings by your job all day. So, when did the grotto start capturing the imagination of? I wouldn't say the media, but when did it become the Grotto, capital T, capital G? We got some press along the way. People, I mean, and, and a number of things sort of in the community started around it and sort of affiliated with it. Um, Litquake, uh, we were some of the first readers at Litquake. We knew, we knew Jane Ganahl. I'm not in any way taking credit for the creation of Litquake, but the fact that the Grotto was there to support her meant that Litquake was that much more of a success. And that sort of fed back, and then you know certainly you know Dave Eggers later on with eight two six. Dave be- came along when we were at the Dog and Cat Hospital. He right. came back here. Um, yeah, he so was there a were, his wife was okay. Vendela Vendela. was yeah during that time. So there was a way in which there was this thing, this whatever motivated us to do it was happening in other places in San Francisco in the literary community, and when writers you know got a hold of that idea that they could write a story about. You know, eight two six and the grotto and these sort of hot spots. We always made those lists and more often featured in those stories. And then, then bigger national magazines sort of came along and started writing about uh, the grotto as a as a as a literary hub in San Francisco. Um, and then people heard about it and yeah, it gained sort of a reputation, a reputation that we've never really tried to control. That had a good side and a bad side. That there was, was a way in which, like, you know, we, we were perceived sometimes in certain ways as being, uh, you know, even to the best of our ability, we weren't being, but being elitist or being clubby or being male dominated or. Um, That's certainly not the case anymore. The Pied Especially the last part. Were, yeah. Where we hung out and drank all afternoon and, you know, lived the writer's life. Rather and magically reduced books That's kind of awesome, movies. actually. Yeah. Well, yeah. You just kind of not. <laughs> yeah, um, With creepy cat ghosts floating around. But the fact is now, so many women at the Grotto, there's probably more women than men, I think. Oh, drastically. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. There are definitely days I'm here and I'm the only guy. We had the uh, the fabulous author party recently, and there were only, I think, two men of all the new books that were coming out. And that really struck me for the first time. Wow, there's a lot of women here. Mm-hmm. It's great. I love it. Even though I'm the only woman at this table right now. But that's an unusual Not circumstance. representative of the grotto as a whole. We've done six podcasts. We've recorded six, and you are, well, I'm going to count you as one guy right now, but you're only, only our second male guest. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think that's great. I mean, I think... On, on on the whole, we're older, and I don't know what's with guys as we're a little bit older, maybe we're married or maybe we have kids or whatever it is where it's like the the coming to the grotto isn't like what interests them, doesn't, doesn't, isn't, isn't something they're seeking out inherently. You know, they like to know it's there, they'll come to the events or whatever, right. but it's like coming to work here and finding each other isn't somehow that doesn't have that like natural instinctive appeal as often um and i don't know why hmm. huh interesting it interesting. did when when we were younger and stuff but you guys are still coming 21 years later you've been in the same well meta you've been in the same office same group you yeah, should, you same should you, uh, well yeah you know I, i've always written in closets so when I came here, you had a closet. And now we record yeah. in a closet. Do you have a closet now? Yeah, yeah, I got what? a closet. I didn't know. Oh, I, that's your closet? 20 feet from here, yeah. Oh, yeah. I it doesn't say post-closet. But in every, in every spot, I had a, a closet. 
Why do you, you think know? that is? I mean, you chose. You like that? You like to like at Folsom cozy Street? Actually, I had to physically build a closet. Mm. At the dog kennel, oh. I found just like there was like a, a, a kennel. kennel. I knew it. And and I put a little screen door up type of thing uh, over that and got kind of primal back there. Well, like inside the grotto, even then, I need to have this inner sanctum. Grotto within where a grotto. I disappear into my mind or to the writing, and I need to block out everything. And it's just, and like, also, if you're in your office, people are always coming in. You personally. Maybe um, you too, a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, not a problem if I lock my door or something. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. So let's take you to the demise of the dog and cat hospital. And the thing that strikes me now demise. is I'm doing the numbers in my head. And I used to write about real estate, so I'm realizing that you managed to have to change places at the top of every market. So... 2006, right? 2006 was not the top. 2007 was. 2006 was this thing where... Let's just try to put it this way. Back at the Dog and Hat Hospital, we lived for three years under this sort of... With this kind of deal with the people who had bought the building. And... I don't really know. It was an Australian hedge fund of some sort. And they were going to build a tower when the market was right. And they were going to tell us, and we would have to be out in 60 days. And that was the deal by which we could hang out there for three more years. And in their long-term plan, they didn't need us in the meantime. Mm -hmm. But look, you know, we were safer than the meth clinic across the street Mm -hmm. or whatever it was. So uh, they kicked us out, and we came here to, to Second and Bryant. And uh, it was the same, it was scary, it was much bigger. Now it, it had white walls, it, it lacked outdoors. It, it, was, yeah, it felt no like outdoors. going inside it's or indoors. You it's know, definitely the most office building. Stuffy either. and stuff. It's so scary in that all of, for all of these reasons. But uh, the, the space here was, and it, I mean, again, for writers it was a huge pill to swallow the amount of money but um in the scope of things i mean that that the market had totally crashed after the dot-com it had not been resuscitated yet it was about to just go go crazy but we got in here at 75 cents a square foot um and now we pay three or four times that but um that helped us and what was the bump in number of members from 21 to 32 okay so not as Drastic, thirty percent though. Finding ten writers to start paying same, same literally in two weeks yeah. is, is is it's it's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. But you, what it had, did it now? What are the numbers now? We have about one hundred twenty members. Um, uh, some of those are p- people who worked here and now live in Washington D.C. or New York or what have you. Um, we have about 20, 15 to 20 flex users who use the space on a part-time basis. That's me. I'm one. And then we have about another. Then of the offices, of the 31 offices, about half are, have a solo occupant. About half are shared. Um, so that creates the community that's actually coming here to the grotto to, is about 60. And to what degree after 21 years, and don't take this the wrong way, are you playing the role of elder statesman? We think Caroline's playing the role of elder statesman. I don't know. Todd's trying to do it. 
what, how do you define, like, what would be the, the aspects of elder statesmanship I guess that we would... When you join the grotto, like I did just a couple years ago, we know you're the guys who know the ropes. You're the guys who've been around. You're the founders. You've seen everything. And you've had successful books, too. I just, I got to say, like, the, the sense of terror doesn't end. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> you know, thank God that we're here. I mean, I enjoy spending time with you guys, like having the party for it. Like these things are just as resuscitating and nourishing to me as they are to you. There's no sense of elder statement like like it's all it's all taken care of or don't have to worry about money or don't have to worry about what I write. I mean I I I my last book came out a couple of years ago. I haven't started another one. I wrote seven books really hard, two and a half to three years each. They came out religiously and I don't know when I'm going to write a book again, hmm. and I don't know what I'm going to write a book about, and I don't know if I'm going to go back to fiction after all this time, or I don't know, and I'm trying to figure that out, and I'm working on projects and doing stuff, but look, the the the, the, the terror that our landlord's going to raise the rent, or people are going to disappear and not pay rent here, we're going to have empty offices, we'll lose money, that's the same as it ever was. Yeah, I don't feel the elder statesman uh, status, certainly... You know, going outward. If I, I mean, it's possible that someone looks at me in that way, but like, what about absolutely? You know, every day you get in, and writing is difficult for everyone, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter if you've had successful books. It's just so difficult. So there's a there's a way in which like everyone that comes in here, there's a kinship about that that just overrides those notions of who's been here the longest or what the what experience you have. Like, you're all facing the same blank page. Indeed. I have to say, I think one of the most, uh, and of the things I'm most grateful to the Grotto for, and it had to have been a tone that was started by you and the first people, was the day I started, I was treated like a peer. peer. Yeah. Even though I had not published a book yet, I had actually been a high school teacher for the previous few years, never did I feel like I was not fully in the Grotto or I would have to, I don't know, you know do some great thing to be taken seriously. I was treated like a colleague and that was incredibly good for my writing because it gave me so much, um, I don't know, not just hope, but yeah, like Poe's in their writing, Matthew's Zapruder's in their writing, Caroline's in their writing, I'm in here writing. Mm-hmm. We're getting it done. That's what we're doing. That's super empowering. Yeah, I guess I was shooting for something like mentorship, but I guess that isn't really applicable either because there's really no mentorship going on in here. It's more collaboration. No one's sitting at the foot of anyone else going, show me how it's done. Ethan and yet is people nodding, are open. which makes awesome people radio. Are, right. People are open to helping, though, for sure. I mean, I was able to show my stuff to people, get feedback. Right, was, right but certainly not in a step in here, Sonny Boy, and let me tell you how it's no. done type of way. No, and that's amazing. And, in fact, it's amazing to the level where I wonder if it could have happened outside of the West Coast. I don't know if it could have happened in New York in the same way. Hmm. We've always had theories about that. I mean, you, and, what, and one thing we've always felt about New York is that you know there is a level of, of competitiveness out there among writers. You know, which is weird because there's so many more opportunities. Right. And so, but there is a sense of you're looking over your shoulder, who's getting ahead, and something about being in San Francisco, right, like we can all get ahead together. You know, like there's just not this sense of like, oh, someone else got a book contract and. Now I'm being left behind. That's one less book contract out there. Yeah, and you know it's a silly idea, especially in New York. It, but it is you can you can feel it among writers in New York. Who's got the best contract? Who's got the best agent? Who's got the best deal? 
and in San Francisco, it just you just don't feel that. It's certainly not of the grotto. You don't feel that sense of no. It might well, happen, and it'll, but it'll pass. It doesn't descend into the zone where you're actually when you're tapping away at the keyboard. I'm down in L.A. You, the plane lands and you start feeling bad that you don't have a seven-figure deal. Like right. it's like the air is just in there; it infects you, and you start to feel like envy. And someone says, "Oh, this person can 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 do whatever she wants." Right. Like that's this. Like you could make bad movies for three years, and like that's like the power. That's how powerful you are, influential you are. And it's like I don't want to make bad movies. Why would I want to make? Well, so I make bad movies. Like that's that's horrible. Like I just want to write stuff and live my life. But that's it. I think that the writing itself is truly valued here. I mean, even if you look at the Grotto notes, it might be that you know Natalie has a show on the O Network, and you know I have right. a tiny essay on a website. Yeah. and those things will be next to each other, and that's true. you don't feel like people are going, "Oh boy, well, what's that guy doing in here?" All right, not at well, all. I know there's it's been fantastic. some spinoffs locally. But are there any? Is there anything on this scale operating anywhere else that you guys know of? In Minneapolis, there is Minneapolis. an organization that uh, I didn't get to visit while I was there, but I talked to some people that belong to it. It sounded very grotto-like in terms of its scale, but it's very rare. Like the other places I've no- heard about are like you know, three people in a cabin somewhere. And having been part of this for twenty-one years and kind of benefited from it. Does that confound you why no one else has done it? Or do you think it's a tough thing to do? In different um, boroughs of outside Manhattan, there's like four, you know, seven, eight ones. Um, And then there's the – now there's the – and and then people come to us from Australia, from Austria, from Idaho, you know, to to say we want to kind of do this in our – dying Rust Belt town or something and resuscitate the arts community and they'll do something but it be a little different than just a bunch of writers really working as the core thing um, but the the whole co-working or we work and these 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 you can get an office you can get a desk type mm-hmm. places uh, have just exploded in the last 15 years, actually pretty much since we've been in this space. And you can see, it also, you can see it also in the fine arts community. There are, you know, the fine arts workspaces. The, um, Definitely. There's a lot of those. I mean, this, I think, my theory of the grotto, you know, it comes out of my, my third book, which was called Urban Tribes, which is about the, the ways in which people were using friendship groups in this very particular time in American history where suddenly people were delaying marriage you know, they weren't getting married at 20, they were getting married at, you know, 28 or 38. And so there was a, suddenly this period of time where you lived outside of a family and you looked to your friends to, in, in a much different way than you looked to your friends in other generations where would normally you'd go from family to family. Now you had 10 years outside of the family. And what do you do with that time? Well, sure, you have a lot of fun, you go to, you have a lot of parties, but you can do something else too. So I look at things like, even like Burning Man and the rise of the, you know, the collaboration out there on the playa as expressions of, of this urban tribeness. And I think the grotto is the same way. We took this time period that we were outside of families, before kids, before houses, and we did something with it. We took that, that social capital and we did something specific with it and created something that's lasted beyond that period of time in our life. 
because everyone's got kids and houses and dogs. And That makes me think, I wonder if some of the early press was because you were three kind of good-looking guys who were sporty and athletic, and I think it came out of that a little bit. Couldn't well, hurt. The first time, Park we, were written, that. The first yeah. time we were written was Herb Cain wrote, mentioned us. That's um, pretty cool. And then, Very cool. Um, and then Entertainment Weekly did a thing in like 98 or something. We were at Folsom Street, and they... In SF Magazine, or one of them took the photo that's still on the wall over there in the other room, I think. Um, well, it's an exciting yeah. idea, especially if it's populated by young, good-looking people. I, I just, I, ha- I have to read this. We dug well, up a the, quote, I actually. Have the, first I photo, have the first photo I'll include included Laura and Mary. And yeah. Yeah, um, but did Carol, they get, did they, and they're, they're, they're good-looking, they but are. did they get a write-up like this? I'll just let you guess who this is about. His sky blue eyes, graying hair, and soccer toned frame might suggest a model from a Ralph Lauren commercial, but his soft eyes and equally soft voice undercut the visual suggestion of ruggedness. I think that person's sitting in this room right wow. now. Wow. That was the People magazine. And I don't, it was the Chronicle. No, that was the Chronicle. Chronicle. That's local. Imagine. Yeah. But People magazine, they went crazy. But, but I, 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 you know, I don't want to overstate this. And if I were a woman, I would feel totally objectified. I hope no one here does. But. It doesn't hurt in the magazine world to have a little glamour associated with your uh, high-minded pursuit. As you of mentioned, our, writing. you know our first guest, Shanti, she looks great in her pictures. She's oh great my gosh, looking. it's not hurting. Have you seen her People magazine picture? Wow, people love that. That's all. I, I just had know, to read it out loud. I mean, certainly, the, but I mean, the, the other thing the Grotto did, so just, just to take it slightly away from the, how people looked. The other thing that Grotto did is like you, know, you go home, you, you tell people you're a freelance writer. Mm-hmm. Totally, it is. Um, and, you know, they have this idea of you working out of your house. There's this way in which it, it is like, or you're saying you're unemployed, right? And right. Certainly, there's no glamour. Certainly there's no glamour in couple, it. No. Certainly, for that first couple of years, you know, I could say like, yeah, I work in an office with Ethan Kanan, you know, and that would, you know, yeah, that my you, office you, mate, Ethan Kanan, yeah, my office mate, Ethan Kanan, the best-selling writer. So it, it's a yeah. You know, Plus, he won like there, the Pulitzer or the National the, Book Award or something. There was a little bit of clamor about the Grotto and a clamor about the space, and it did help me, you know, sort of feel like on the days when I didn't get something done, I could still feel like at least I'm part of this. At least I'm part of this, <clears throat> and someone else got something done, or some someone else had good news that day, mm-hmm. and that makes me feel like I was part of this, creating this community, and I I still have momentum, even though it's not coming into my checking account. I still feel good about that. I'm out there. So so we already got from uh, Poe that the grotto is still constant terror, but what do you guys see in the future? Where's where are we going? And we already got from me that we already you know, we already moved the show from Milwaukee to California. But I what disagree comes next? About Milwaukee to California. Yeah. I just I feel like I'm excited. I'm excited to be here still. I'm oh, yeah. I think there's Freaking cool stuff happening. Well, you're saying Milwaukee to California is from the dog and cat hospital to this place that you know, tends to have a lot of windows that you can't even crack on. Right, that, that is, could be that's yeah. a carpet and like air conditioning. That could be when they move from Arnold's to. Okay, maybe it's right. easy for you to complain because <laughs> it's not freezing cold. The old dog, Kelly, you're not yelling at me like no Wi-Fi, like plumber sinks back up. So what comes? What comes next? Look, well, this is the big thing: is the grotto. For a long time, we would describe it as a, a an idea or an experiment in in the notion of place. And then having a physical place for this thing you do with the mind, which you don't have to have a physical place for. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Once you get laptops were invented, you can go anywhere and write. Mm-hmm. You know, 
good point. And the, 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 that, a, that physical space was somehow uh, really effective and powerful and germane to the chemistry of writers. And, and being with each other in person was, was meaningful at a time when the world was sort of getting virtualized and yeah. distributed, right? In the early era of the Internet, people were saying, you could be anywhere, you know, mm-hmm. and you could just be a writer in, in, you know, Colorado Springs or in the mountains. You don't need to be around people. And so we were kind of an opposite of that. But what we are really dealing with is, I mean, uh, we went 20 years without a vacancy. You know, we actually have two vacancies right now. Well, hopefully we'll fill them, but... But we, we, we see in the writers here a shift from wanting to be the kind of writer who shows up and writes all day and then goes home to people who are writing periodically, parts of time, teaching, doing a variety of things to make it all work. Right. And we're seeing a lot of people, we have endless discussions on our own little, you know, BBS, that's uh, our internal Yahoo group, you know, uh, where we're discussing the life of a writer and can we can we even make a living anymore and who will pay and how do we do this and ever being asked to write for free or being asked to write for really low, you know, pennies on the word by internet sites and all of that is qu- Fundamentally, like, do we need the real estate? You know, can do can we pay for the cost mm-hmm. of renting this floor of this building? Um, we're really, you know, struggling with that. We don't know. And uh, should we have should we have this big a space? Do we should we have any space at all? I, See, I would say, on the other hand, I would argue that now more than ever, a place like this is needed for writers, especially if so many of us are feeling like we're in the wilderness. To have this place to go, to have the days like Ethan said, where maybe I didn't get a lot done today, but I was there, they were there, we were all there. I think it plays a huge role in a lot of people's lives, even if they don't come that often, but that they came right. some or they used to come. And the fact that it's here, it's this, it's a, it's it's like, you know, uh, are you from Montana? So, yes. So I, I haven't been to Montana, you know, since in. in in, in 15 years, right, or maybe 12 years, but but it's in a place in my mind, and it's there for me. Right. And my grandfather was there, and my mother grew up there, and you know I learned to do all sorts of stuff there. But and so it's there. It, the place is still there, and so a lot of people who don't come here every day, the place of the grotto is meaningful, but that doesn't pay the rent. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Well, right. It can be very meaningful. That's a good but- point. But the uh, the tech companies all around us, it's not about meaning. It's about getting space for the top dollar, and we have to compete with that. I mean, definitely we're always considering how the grotto can evolve. And there's a time of tremendous change for writers, how they create their incomes. But, you know, things like this podcast is exciting to me. Um, we finally, after 20 years, made an LLC out of the thing. We were, you know, think, bringing in potentially some uh, business partners in to inhabit spaces that are doing some sort of content thing. Um, and all of that, you know, that, that all of those changes were really in the last couple of years. And I remember the moment when Jason Roberts said, we got to make some changes. I feel like we're building ourselves a retirement home. <laughs> like mm-hmm. if, if we let it stay just what it is and just let, you know, like this is just going to be a, like our retirement home. And that, that comment really cut, <laughs> cut close to the bone. And I thought, yeah. It's then a, you would be elder statesman. Yeah, let's, let's, let's keep it moving. Let's keep bringing people in with new ideas, people that are doing different sort of, sorts of work, uh, you know, mixing up with the sort of 
you know, corporate work, uh, whatever they're doing to, to get by, let's make the grotto a home for that as well. Great. Well, that Fantastic. about wraps it up for us. Uh, it is sfgrotto.org. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at The Grotto Pod, Facebook slash Grotto Pod. Ethan Poe, thanks for being on the show. Thank you uh, so much. It was delightful. Pleasure. Mm-hmm. All right. Great. BQ, take us out. Read, write, and just keep working, friends. See you next week on The Grotto Pod. <laughs>